1: No matter what your gene makeup is, most people are still not going to be converting more than what I've seen is 5% of the ALA could be converted to EPA and only 1% would be converted to DHAs. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, onto the show.
0: So, this week we split the episode into two parts this week and next week for not really a great reason except that it seemed like a great option when I wrote the calendar. But it'll be great because we are going to be giving away a couple of omega-3 testing kits that Christina will eventually talk about in her podcast. So the first part of this week's episode has to do with kind of omega-3 background and kind of what to expect. And next week goes dives more into the prenatal or the pregnancy aspect of omegas. Now, there's a little bit that we cross back and forth a little bit, but generally, that's kind of how it is. However, if you're not pregnant, you can still listen to the second half, and I think you'll still take away some things. So Here's how you can enter to win a $50 value Omega-3 at home testing kit, Omega-3 index kit. So there will be two Instagram posts that come out about this episode, this week's episode and next week's. You can comment and tag someone on that episode social media post on Instagram or on Facebook, or all you have to do is share this episode or share the podcast with a friend and screenshot how you shared it in your text message and email it to hello at lessstresslife.com. So you can get as many entries as you want. There's going to be two Instagram or Facebook posts and you can comment and tag someone on either one. The goal here is you're just sharing the podcast. And if you don't use Instagram or Facebook, no big deal. Just send someone a text with a link to the podcast. You can actually just send them to lestresslife.com or there's a little like share arrow in your podcast app somewhere and you can kind of hit that arrow and it'll take you into the text message usually. And then just take a screenshot of you sharing it and email it to us at Hello at Less Stress Life. That will make sure we can contact you one of those three ways. That makes it the easiest for us to get a hold of you to let you know that you've won one of the free Omega tests. So good luck. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have someone that I met very recently. Her name is Christina Harris-Jackson, and she is a guru on omega-3s and specifically during pregnancy. So we're going to get into that, but then also the bigger omega-3 picture today. So Christina received her PhD in nutritional sciences from Penn State University in 2013 and completed her training to become a registered dietitian in 2014. As a grad student, she studied a, with an internationally recognized expert in fats and nutrition, Dr. Penny Chris Etherton. and she worked as a postdoc fellow at the University of Colorado Denver under Dr. John Peters in the area of worksite wellness before returning to the omega three field. And I think we should talk about why she returned to the omega three field. <laughs> so she joined the family business. There it is, Omega Quant Analytics in 2014, with a particular focus on omega threes and maternal health, helping to create a prenatal DHA and mother's milk DHA test. So this is actually pretty awesome. Like, there's nothing else quite like that. On the market. And the reason I'm excited to have Christina on is a long time ago when I was looking at all my options for omega testing, I found that this omega company was just right down the street, not like right down the street, but in the same state as me. There's not that much. We don't have that much. So I was really excited about this. So Christina came and spoke at our local dietitian conference last month. I saw her dad at the national conference this last month. And so anyway, we're really excited to talk about all this stuff. In fact, now, I'm going to stop talking here in a moment. But Christina was actually one of my favorite speakers at our own locally assembled conference. And I think we had a really great slate. So we're excited to have her here. Thanks for joining
1: us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Yeah. So let's get into the Omega. I'd love to talk about the family biz later because I think it's actually a good part of the story because it talks about the the origin story and like different types of quality Omega-3 testing. But let's get into Mm Omega-3s in general because this is a misunderstood field, I think, because we always like it's a popular thing. Omega-3s are one of the top recommended supplements. You can see them everywhere. So let's talk about what is an Omega-3 and what goes into that.
1: Oh, yeah. This is a very... It's simple to us, but it gets confused really quickly. So omega-3s are a type of fat and there are different kinds of fats called... And we call them fatty acids and they just have different structures. So it makes them do different things in your body. And omega-3s are a kind of fat that have a double bond on the third carbon from the omega end, hence the name omega three. So a fat actually is just a long chain of carbons. And so when you get double bonds in there, then that's how we kind of name fats. And so omega threes are found really almost exclusively in marine life in nature. So fish is really our only natural dietary source of omega threes, unless we wanted to eat phytoplankton, but that's not going to work for humans. So It's this really concentrated, it's this nutritional source that is really, really specific. And so that's made it kind of difficult for the general population and kind of our modern times to be getting enough omega threes through their diet. Well,
0: let's yeah. dissect that just for a moment because you talked about just mostly marine life and nature, but are we talking about DHA and EPA or yes. can we talk about ALA? I jumped
1: right into there. Yeah, yes. so that there's two right kinds, because,
0: because people, this would be confusing mm-hmm. if people are looking at their chia seed bag and it says great source of omega-3s, right? Like clarify. Right.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so into the long chain that I just skipped right over it. So the whole family of omega-3s starts with alpha-linolenic acid, and that's what you find in chia seeds and walnuts and plant-based. So that's a shorter chain omega-3, but it's the essential one. And essentially, we can take that omega-3 fatty acid, ALA, and our bodies can metabolize it to add carbons and to take away hydrogens and to make them longer and more unsaturated. As your body does that, those are the fatty acids that we study the longer chain EPA and DHA. So, our bodies can make EPA and DHA, but those are the two that we also get from fish and marine life. And our bodies are pretty inefficient at making EPA and DHA from ALA. And so, it's much easier to eat it in fish to increase your levels or to boost the amount of long chain omega 3s in your body.
0: I talk about this all the time with people specifically because I work with a lot of skin issues, right? So Mm -hmm. we think about consuming omegas from plant sources like chia or flax, but you mentioned that it's inefficient for your body to convert it to an animal-based EPA and DHA. I always just call it plant-based omegas, animal-based omegas, Mm. ALA Mm -hmm. plants, EPA, DHA, animal-based, you know, because you need a body to make that happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's why a fish body is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'd like to talk about omegas in other animals and kind of what the differences are there because there's some chatter about, okay, so if we're doing grass-fed animals, are we getting Mm -hmm. higher omegas or whatnot? So let's Mm -hmm. talk about that too. But first of all, why are humans so inefficient at converting that? Do you think is it genetics is I have, you know, the FADS gene where I don't convert that very Mm -hmm. well. So I talk to people about like, I'm always going to need some omegas, like I'm going to need to eat fish, period. But Mm -hmm. maybe that's a pretty generalized statement.
1: It's not I think, in general, the FADS genes and the uh, laval genes are they code for the proteins, the enzymes that convert the ALA over all the way up to EPA and DHA. And there are differences in people some are a little bit more efficient depending on their specific gene for those genes but for overall no matter what your gene makeup is most people are still not going to be converting more than what i've seen is 5% of the ALA could be converted to EPA and only 1% would be converted to DHA so you'd have to be eating a whole lot of ALA to get an appreciable change in EPA or DHA and so The fads does slightly affect it, but truly the dose or eating EPA and DHA in animal proteins is so much more effective than super dosing ALA or super consuming ALA and trying to ramp up that pathway that Mm -hmm. it's not even a competition. It just blows it out of the water if Mm -hmm. you just eat fish essentially or take fish oil.
0: Yeah. What organs are involved in that conversion process?
1: It is primarily in the liver, I believe.
0: Okay. That's what I kind of thought. It probably was Mm -hmm. too. Okay. So you mentioned basically that we're not converting, like if we were relying on plants for our omega-3 EPA DHA, it would probably not be end well for us. So what does it look like in people when we don't have enough EPA DHA? What are some symptoms that present?
1: Yes. And so these symptoms are like, they're, relatively subtle because the body does a lot of things to compensate when it doesn't get what it needs. But some of the symptoms that we've been noticing more over the years as we've been studying this is dry eye is one of the most common ones these days. Joint pain is also something that has at least omega-3s have been shown to improve that. And then there's some evidence with anxiety and depression, which also could be for a number of other reasons. But some of the issues with all of these is they're multifactorial. So omega-3s can play a role in all these. Where we've really done most of our research is in the world of heart disease and longevity. And those aren't really situations where you get symptoms. It's where we look at studies and follow people over long periods of time and find people with high levels of omega-3s, EPA and DHA in their blood, live longer, are less likely to have heart attacks, things like that. So that's a completely different kind of perspective versus the immediate symptoms of omega-3 deficiency.
0: Sure. Although it is a commonly recommended supplement. I mean, really Mm -hmm. it is. And so do you think that stems from the whole cardiovascular and longevity benefits? I don't know that I think we're just starting to talk about longevity as a thing. Like now mm-hmm. so I'm guessing it was heart disease before. <laughs> I mm-hmm, it to was. Be <laughs> uh, so, I mean, is that really where it comes from? Like, oh, well, this is going to improve your cholesterol. And so many people, like half the people have mm-hmm. high cholesterol. I don't know. I'm making up that number, but it's a, it's yeah. a number. It's a big
1: number, right? It definitely came to be important because of the heart disease world. The first studies were really in the Greenland Eskimos or Inuit populations, and they found that those people were eating exclusively blubber and high, high fat meals, diets, no vegetables, and they had very low levels of heart disease compared to... I think they were comparing to Denmark or mainland Europe. And so at that time, it was in the 1970s. That was very surprising because that's when the fat heart disease hypothesis was really getting ramped up. And so looking at this population that was doing everything wrong and yet having less heart disease and was just confusing to people. So they dug and they found that they had very high omega-3 fatty acid intake and then just started to do more and more research on that. And so we are. that is where it born it was born. And then there's been so many studies since then that have been positive and sometimes they don't find a finding. It's been confusing. And that's where we think actually measuring blood levels instead of just giving people us the same dose of omega threes in a supplement is where we can explain some of the confusion in the literature. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like there is quite a bit of confusion because even when we get in here in a moment talking about this in maternal or Mm prenatal and postnatal, you guys kind of had to do a lot of pioneer work because there wasn't really baselines or kind of like generally recognized consensus around how things should be. So let's get into that Mm -hmm. area. Who specialize in really maternal? So why do we care about EPA, DHA, or specifically DHA in pregnant women and beyond and before pregnancy? Tell us about that whole time frame.
1: Yeah, this has been so interesting to me because I've been studying this more intensively as I've been having my own kids. So it's it's really hitting home. DHA in pregnancy, I think initially became important because in animal studies, not in human studies, they were kind of doing deficiency studies and taking away all the DHA in the diets and finding malformed brains and eyes. And so the brain and the eye are where DHA is really concentrated. It's very, very high. And it's important part of the structure of both of those organs. And so when you completely took it away from the diet, there were problems there. And so that was like, oh my gosh, we have to make sure we get enough DHA for everybody. So these babies will have enough DHA to make their brains and their eyes healthy and develop properly. But the body does make some DHA. And I think that makes perfect sense that the body makes enough DHA so that the mom can provide DHA for the baby to make the eye and brain, even when she doesn't necessarily think she's eating much DHA or may not be eating any DHA. So in these human studies, we started to give people DHA and follow them through their pregnancy and then follow their kids and see if there were any effects on IQ or how your brain works, how the kids' brains worked, because that was the main hypothesis. And there were some studies that found that giving women who were pregnant fish oil had benefits to their kids' mental capacities when they were toddlers and children, and some that didn't show that. And I'm sure you can imagine it's very hard to actually measure (laughs) how smart a child is. It's like, it's a very difficult thing to measure. So I think those studies are hard to do and difficult to interpret. However, in doing these studies where they're starting to give women fish oil or DHA during pregnancy, they started to see that the gestational period was longer in women who were having higher amounts of omega-3s during pregnancy. And this phenomenon was pretty consistent across a lot of different studies, such that just in 2018, they produced, or there was a meta-analysis where they combined a bunch of different studies and looked at whether or not across a lot of studies, they see the same pattern. And so they found with a very high degree of certainty that women who had fish oil or DHA during pregnancy were at lower risk of having preterm birth and especially early preterm birth. So I'm defining preterm birth as before 37 weeks and early preterm birth as before 34 weeks gestation. And what's the problem Um, with preterm birth? And preterm birth is... It's very common to us these days, but it's a huge problem. It's worldwide, it's the number one cause of neonatal death. Here in the U.S., we have amazing treatment for preterm kids, but it's very, very expensive. So if you have a kid, a preterm baby, and they have to go into the neonatal intensive care unit, can cost about $50,000 a day, or it can cost $50,000 more for the entire labor and delivery as compared to a normal labor and delivery. And, And those kids can have deficiencies throughout their life because they weren't in the womb long enough. But like I said, our treatment's gotten so much better that it's less, we don't think about it as much, I think, anymore. But It's more preferable to keep baby in the womb until they are at full term versus having baby come out early. And then you have to do all this work to catch them up and make sure that they have to recreate the womb outside of the womb, which is very difficult to do.
0: Well, and specifically, even with our advances and our abilities to do this, preterm birth rates are on the rise, correct? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Correct. It is.
0: We're going, we're going backwards at the same, Mm -hmm. like we're going forwards, but we're also going backwards. And so Mm -hmm. we're, we're spending, this is like, you know, rule number one, we're spending a lot in healthcare, (laughs) possibly Uh something we could do. I mean, the the studies are very consistent, good omega Mm -hmm. status, good DHA specifically. Is it total omegas or is it DHA? And in which thing do we care about? I mean, I know DHA is a bigger deal in babies. So like, at what point do we care about which one to which one?
1: That's a good question. DHA has been studied on its own as a supplement and shown to work to elongate gestation. Fish oil has been studied and that has both EPA and DHA in there. And so the EPA does not seem, at least if we look at blood levels of EPA, it doesn't seem to be playing as big of a role as DHA. And I think just the history of DHA as a structural piece of the brain and the eye made DHA link to pregnancy more than EPA but having a a high EPA level is good as well. (laughs) But the research has just really been focused on DHA.
0: Okay. So you presented some interesting research when I heard you speak talking about, you know, when we give this much, I don't know if this was your study or other studies, but basically when Mm -hmm. we give an X amount of DHA, this happens. And if we give X amount, like, so if you chest, Mm -hmm. if you do want to go through that with us,
1: basically. Sure. Yeah. What's beautiful about omega-3s in the diet and omega-3s in the blood is that there's a pretty direct correlation unlike other fatty acids that we make in our body and we metabolize. So it's a lot harder to see the connection between diet and blood levels. For omega-3s, because we are inefficient at making our own, the level in their diet really is pretty strongly related to the level in your blood. So there have been lots and lots of studies where they've given women different doses of DHA and found a dose response in their blood where the more DHA you take, the more is in your blood. In pregnant women also, the higher their cord blood levels are and the higher the baby's levels are when they are born. And there's also higher breast milk DHA levels, at least for the first about six weeks, if you have higher DHA during pregnancy. So it all works together.
0: Okay. So, specifically, something that I saw. So, I'm going to kind of read off some of the notes I have from your presentation. So, if someone was... I'm hoping to get this right. Basically, if someone had adequate omega-3 status in their blood and we gave them Mm -hmm. DHA supplementation, it was Mm -hmm. like fine, but there was not really a big difference. But if Mm -hmm. they were inadequate in testing and you gave Mm -hmm. them DHA, it improved. So, if you're already good, it didn't really make a difference. If you were deficient, Mm -hmm. it made a big difference. Was that correct?
1: And then... Am I wrong? <laughs> no, no. I'm trying to think about which study you're talking about. I think the study you might be referencing is a study we got run the fatty acids on that was conducted in pregnant women. They were looking at choline and they did a controlled feeding study. So they offered, they provided all the food for these women. And then in that controlled feeding, they gave them 200 milligrams of DHA a day, which is kind of the standard pregnancy dose right now across the board. So this was just, we knew exactly how much DHA they were getting. What happened in that was for the most part, the pregnant women that they tested, if they took the, if they were on this diet, they still saw an increase in their blood DHA levels from the beginning of the study to after 10 weeks of this diet. Women who were of childbearing age, but not pregnant had the same effect. If they were taking 200 milligrams of DHA a day, they had an increase in blood level. The group that didn't change was a lactating group. So they had women Five weeks postpartum, start this diet, go on this 200 milligrams a day of DHA, and they found that women who were higher at the beginning, at baseline, they had higher DHA levels. When they went on that 200 milligrams a day, it didn't appear to be enough. So they actually had a decrease in some cases in their blood levels of DHA. Women who were very low, that 200 milligrams was enough to help raise them up. So essentially with the lactating group, I think the demands of breastfeeding were so much that that 200 milligrams of DHA a day was not enough to meet the needs to maintain mom's DHA status and provide enough DHA for the breast milk in addition to healing from pregnancy and labor right. which is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge deal.
0: There's like a whole like thing around postpartum that has not really been Ugh. addressed fully that needs like I hope it's coming. Right. I hope I hope we can create a movement right. because it's like a big deal. So essentially yeah. so- Mama's giving all the DHA away. And so baby needs it to grow brain and eyes and all the things, you know, and to be super smart. So yeah,
1: there's some really cool stuff about that, where like we have store our fat stores, literally, our body will pull DHA out of our fat stores, and put it in the placenta will pull DHA specifically out of mom's blood. And the biology of it is that it just shows over and over again how important DHA is to baby. The other cool thing is estrogen levels also slightly improve that pathway going from ALA to EPA and DHA. It slightly increases the amount of ALA that can be converted to DHA, not a huge amount, but enough. So there's all these little hints showing how the body's changing to be able to provide more DHA to the baby, which Aww. I think is very cool. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> cool. The body is like way smarter than we can decipher at the moment. It is. <laughs> so I think we've established this importance of specifically DHA, but omegas in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So fish oil is EPA and DHA. DHA by itself has been really studied in pregnancy and it leads to longer um, gestations, which some people may not want to hear, but That's a positive thing because you need a baby in there. So they're growing Mm -hmm. well. So everything is like more awesome afterwards. Um, And Mm -hmm. then there's really a big need for it in in lactation or in breastfeeding. So let's talk about how do we know where we're at with this? Because when you started doing study work around this population, there wasn't a reference range really for pregnancy Mm -hmm. of what appropriate DHA or omega, however we want to call this omega-3 index. Because like if I were to go get my omega-3 index tested, which I did a week or two ago... (laughs) (laughs) and it's low. I mean, my low, that reference range is different than pregnancy. Tell us about that.
1: Correct. So the omega-3 index is the first like really omega-3 blood test that came out way before our prenatal DHA test. So the omega-3 index is the EPA and DHA content of red blood cell membranes. So the blood, it has plasma and it has red blood cells and white blood cells. And red blood cells just kind of carry oxygen around and then no one else really cares that much about it except for maybe measuring HbA1c. Everything is going on in the plasma. But we look at a red blood cell and we look at the fatty acid membrane that makes up the red blood cell. And that is really interesting because it reflects tissue levels of Fatty acids in your body instead of just what you ate yesterday. That's going to be or ate this morning. That's going to be in your plasma. Your red blood cells really show kind of your months long intake of fat and what your body has to make those fatty acid membranes. The, the type of fats that are available to them.
0: And that's a wrap for today. Don't forget to go enter to win the omega three index testing kits. We have more than one to give away. Your chances are good. If you want to know how to enter, we'll give you as many entries as you comment. Like you can comment each week on both Facebook and Instagram on this post at Krista Bigler RD on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can send a screenshot of sharing both episodes and we'll give you as pretty much as many entries, like up to six entries. So your odds are excellent. Go ahead and go get entered now because it's such a great easy to do test at home and there's zero cost to you because you'll get the results and they're really easy to interpret on your own and it tells you what you need to do. Good luck.